You know, we continue our uh, series of sermons from the Gospel of John in light of Christ's suffering and crucifixion. Uh, we've focused on his arrest. That was the first sermon from John 18. And then we last week looked at his trial, the king on trial. And that was uh, from John 18 as well. And this week we look at uh, the king and his sentence for us, the Jesus who took the sentence in our place. And our Bible reading comes from John 18, verses 38 to 19, verse 16. Once again, comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 18. If you turn to chapter 18, and we begin, we begin reading at verse 38, 39 and 40. And then we continue into John chapter 19, 1 through 16. And that's also our focus this morning, those verses. Let's hear God's word. John 18, beginning at verse 38. Pilate said to him, that's to Jesus, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone to you in the Passover. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Then they all cried again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. And therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out again, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, You take him. You crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium, and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it has been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a, in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover, 
And about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered him to them to be crucified. Then they took Jesus and led him away. Beloved in Christ, you know, we in Canada have been living for the Canadian dream a long time. When you think about it, the Canadian dream is quite shallow. It doesn't go very deep, does it? God sends a little bug. Fear takes over. The dream vanishes. Begin to see over the years how man in our nation has turned his back on God. And look where it ends today. Look where it ends. Hopelessness, helplessness, fear. You know, God has his ways of humbling us. And it reminds us of our need to turn back to the Lord again. We need to turn to Christ. We need to trust in him here. And this is the only place on earth we will find forgiveness, healing, hope, and life. We need to take God seriously. We need to take his word seriously. And this is why mankind needs to hear the truth. The truth of God's word needs to ring out because it's this that really matters. It's this which is most basic to our daily lives. What do we need to hear? We need to hear that a deadly virus has infected all mankind. And what is that deadly virus? It's the sin virus. That's the emergency. There is the urgent call. The mankind hear that this is the most deadly virus there is, the sin virus. And worse yet, man is under God's sentence, and that is death. Not just simply physical death, but death forever. God said to our first parents, recall what he said to our first parents? Adam and Eve in the garden, in referring to the fruit of the forbidden tree, God says to them in Genesis 2, verse 17, he said, the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We ate. We died. And we die. And therefore, we need someone, don't we? We need someone so strong, so powerful, to battle this deadly virus, this sin virus for us. We need a big king. We need a powerful king. What kind of king? Well, with three qualifications. Three qualifications. First is one who is true and righteous man. That's number one. True and righteous man. Because after all, it's man who sinned. And second of all, 
We need one who is not infected with this sin virus. And third, we need one who is not less than God himself. In other words, in other words who is God himself. We need one to remove the sentence of death and hell in order to give us life. We see him here this morning or this afternoon from John chapter 19. Before Pilate, we see Jesus, the Son of God. We see Jesus, the suffering king. He serves God's plan by taking on himself the sentence of death. Let me say that again. The suffering king serves God's plan by taking on himself the sentence of death. We see two things in our passage this morning. First of all, we see Jesus is innocent. We see that in John chapter 18, verse 38, all the way through John 19, verse 12. Jesus is innocent. And second of all, we're going to see that Jesus is condemned. Those two points this morning. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is condemned. And we see that from John 19, verse 13 through 16. We saw in his trial last week how he was brought before the religious authorities. And now today we see how he is brought before Pilate. Who's Pilate? He's also known as Pontius Pilate in our Apostles' Creed. Well, Pilate was a Roman governor. And now it's early Friday morning. Jesus has been handed over to Pilate by those evil Jewish religious authorities. Here you see Jesus, eternal Son of God, become man. His hands are bound with ropes, a prisoner already sentenced by the religious authorities. He must die, says the Jews. You see here how so resistant, notice here how resistant, how hateful they are towards the one who came to bring life and to be the one who is king over their hearts and lives. They're chanting death to him. They're choosing death instead of life. Well, since the Romans are the rulers over the land, they're now asking Pilate, the Roman ruler, to you know to, to rubber stamp their decision to put Jesus to death. And you look at these verses, John 18, verse 38, all the way to John 19, verse 12. Over and over again, what do you hear? What do you hear Pilate saying? I find no fault in him at all. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. This too is in God's plan. Yes, in God's sovereign plan, also you see that not once does Pilate say to the Jews, you must let this man go. Even though Pilate sees no fault in him, at the same time, never do you hear Pilate saying to the Jews, you must let this man go. Why? Because he's afraid of the Jews over whom he is governor. So now Pilate is thinking of tactics. He's thinking, I will see to it that they, that they let the Lord Jesus go free in such a way that they won't remain angry with me. You see what Pilate is doing. He doesn't want to take any responsibility. 
And so he tries to push it on all the others because he's trying to save himself. Ultimately, it's about himself. And so his first tactic we see in verses 39 and 40. His first tactic is to compromise, as we see in these verses. We're reminded there that it was the custom at Passover to let free a prisoner of their choice. And so on this day, Pilate now asks for a vote between a murderer on the one hand and one who is goodness and love on the other hand. Pilate is saying, one of these two men may go free, and you may choose which one. Whom shall I set free, Barabbas or Jesus? Now, what do we know about Barabbas? As we look at all the other gospel accounts, including this one, we know that Barabbas was a robber, a thief, one of a violent kind. That was the kind of robber he was, a very violent one. But we also note from Mark chapter 15, verse 7, that he was in prison for murder. So you have a murderer and a robber and a violent one at that. He's not the kind of guy that you would want roaming on the streets in your neighborhood. And now look at, beloved, think about it this, boys and girls. Jesus is put on the same level as Barabbas. And now Pilate is saying, now you choose which one to set free. Now Pilate, of course, is thinking, oh, they're going to let Jesus go free. I mean, just five days ago, on Sunday, the crowds were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were shouting this to Jesus. They were welcoming him as the king who was entering Jerusalem. And now how do they respond? Totally opposite. He was not the kind of king they wanted. And now they're crying out. Now they're shouting, not this man, but Barabbas. Crucify him. Away with Jesus. Let Barabbas go free. You know, the Jews reject the king. Isn't this precisely what we see happening in our world today? In our own nation of Canada? Our culture today, if it's not actively resisting Christ and his messages, then people are simply ignoring him, the life. You know, not choosing Jesus means not choosing life. Not choosing life means choosing death. It's one or the other. Choosing Jesus or Receiving Jesus is receiving life. Rejecting Jesus is rejecting life and choosing death. And that's what we see happening here in this passage. I mean, things haven't changed so much today either. But the Jews here are rejecting life. And these are the people of God. They're choosing instead a criminal. Jesus is treated like the one who has already been found guilty by the Roman government. Beloved, brothers and sisters, you see Jesus. He is taking our shame. He's taking our indignity on himself 
because of our sin. You see that? He's taking on our shame, the shame that is ours, the indignity that is ours. And now he's taking it upon himself. That's what we need to confess. This is what we need to confess about ourselves. And now Jesus is taking that upon himself. You know, Pilate is shocked. He's shocked by the crowd's choice and outburst. Not because he so much loved Jesus, but it's more because also that Pilate didn't get his way. And at the same time, we see God is using the wicked actions of the Jews, but also Pilate's tactics to fulfill his own plan for your and my salvation. I mean, you see the the love of God here for his people and sending his own son for this very purpose. His first tactic failed, the tactic of compromise. He was hoping that Barabbas, uh, he was hoping that Jesus would be set free so that his own hands are washed and he doesn't have to take the responsibility anymore. But now Pilate ties another tactic in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 19. The second tactic, the second scheme. And now Pilate is going to try to arouse sympathy. He's going to try to arouse pity for Jesus, the prisoner. So then hopefully they, the Jews, will let him go. Hopefully he doesn't have to say, no, you must let them go. No, he wants them to decide to let him go free. And this way he could avoid then the revenge of the Jews. You know, Pilate was that kind of guy. He was a shifty character, always wanting to, to remove his, the responsibility from himself and put it on others so that he never had to take the blame for anything. He was a politician who was shifty. He doesn't do this because he loves Jesus. That's not, that's not, that's not what's going on here. No, Pilate loves himself too much for that. So inside the palace... What does Pilate get the Roman soldiers to do? These are Roman soldiers, by the way. He gets them to flog Jesus. Flog means to beat Jesus. In this way, Pilate is trying to get the crowds to think that he is convinced by them that he wants to crucify Jesus. It looks like Pilate is being swayed by the people to crucify Jesus when he does this. What do the Roman soldiers do? They remove Jesus' clothes and they flog him on his bare back. In the Roman way of flogging, the Romans, the Roman way of flogging was using a short wooden handle with sharp pieces of lead on the end. And you can imagine with the beating, the flesh on the back would be torn open. Deep wounds and gashes would appear. That's what's going on with the flogging. And it doesn't stop there. They hurl insult upon insult. You see that? Jesus taking that upon himself for our sakes. They mock him. They pretend to make Jesus a king. It's all pretend. They're playing dress up. You know how boys and girls sometimes play dress up? That's what they're doing with Jesus, the son of God, the innocent one, the one who came from heaven, the holy one the one who became man. And they place on him a crown. 
But what kind of crown? A crown of thorns on his head. You know, the crown is lacerated, is filled with thorns, deep or long thorns that would end up digging into the flesh on Jesus' face, into the skin, so that just rivulets of blood would flow down from his face. And then they put an old faded purple robe around his shoulders, pretending that he's royalty. You see here, Christ laid aside those glory robes from all eternity that he had with the Father. And for our sakes, he's willing to take upon himself this kind of abuse, taking upon himself our sentence. And what you see the soldiers doing here is they now pass by him one by one, pretending to bow before him. And as they're bowing before him, they take their hands and they slap him on the face with their hands. Brothers and sisters, taking upon himself your shame, your indignity. You see how he humbles himself. You see his suffering. The crown of thorns, by the way, reminds us of what? Reminds us of those early chapters of Genesis. Remember Genesis 3 after man's sin? The punishment? It talks about thorns. Thorns in the, in the gardens. Thorns, you remember, was God's curse on the sin of man. And now Christ carries our indignity. He carries the curse we deserve. All placed on him. And notice here, Jesus says nothing. He remains quiet. He's led like a lamb to the slaughter. He lets them do all those things to him. What you see here, the innocent son of God. He perfectly obeys God, his father, in everything in our place. That's what he's doing. Perfectly obeying God in our place. You know, brothers and sisters, as an aside, horrible acts of injustice is true. They bring deep wounds and personal pain even to people today. And the Lord knows about all of these things. He knows all about this because he went through it himself. He suffered the ultimate the, the worst form injustice that anyone could face so that we could be made right with God. Healing, brothers and sisters, takes place by coming to him. But healing also comes by knowing that he will make all things right. He will set all things straight. And that's what you see here, Pilate's cruel injustice. In verses 4 and 5, look there. He says to the Jews, I am bringing him out to you. Can you imagine? The mock king. The one that they've been playing dress up with. I am bringing him out to you. And then he says, so that you may know that I find no fault in him. The dressed up king comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Behold the man. Pilate says, he says that to the Jews who are raging angry. Behold the man. 
you know, brothers and sisters, this pitiable man who is facing the crowds is who we are because of sin. We've lost our kingship that we had in the garden. It's been tarnished. It's been so broken because of our sin. And now the judgment of God upon our sin is placed on this man. Away with him. Crucify him. Again, brothers and sisters, Pilate's scheme fails. Were the crowds moved to pity by such a sorry sight, by such a sad plight that they saw before him? No, they were not moved to pity. They cried out all the more, crucify him, crucify him. Verse 6, Pilate doesn't know, but God in his wide design, in his plan, is making sure that Pilate is losing his own battle with the Jews. Pilate is not going to get his way. He's also going to take responsibility for his own sin. But he needs to place that responsibility on Christ. But that he never sees. He's losing his battle with the Jews. You'll notice finally, he's in exasperation. He finally says to them, now you take him. He doesn't want to take the responsibility anymore. You take him. You crucify him. For I find no fault in him. And then we come to verses 7 through 12. We see here, in these verses, that Pilate just wants to let him go. In spite of what the Jewish law says, that he should die because he made himself to be the son of God, Pilate gets nervous. What if he really is a son of God? Now, he's not thinking son of God as a scripture speak it, but he's a, he comes from the Romans' uh, religions, right? He's thinking about Roman gods, that's what he understands by son of a God. And so that makes him very nervous. That makes him very, super, he's very superstitious about the whole thing. And he comes to Jesus. And he says, where are you from? Jesus doesn't reply. And then Pilate gets huffy. He says, don't you know I have the power to crucify you? And the power to release you? And what does Jesus say? You would not have the power unless my father Gave it to you. You see here how Pilate is serving God's plan. He's serving God's plan in sentencing his son in our place. Sentencing him to death. Even the decision of Pilate is ultimately in the hands of God. He directs the hearts of kings. What a comfort to know that in our day in age two. The kings of the earth have no ultimate authority. They're not in control. It's the Lord. It's the Lord who is in control. He directs the hearts of kings. Notice all along, Pilate is declaring Jesus' innocence. But not once has Pilate ever said, you must let this man go. You know, Pilate is a chicken. He's scared to. He's afraid of the Jews. That's why he doesn't say he must Go free. Pilate has no spine. And the Jews know it. Verse 12. We read that Pilate, the sense here is he keeps on trying. He keeps on trying. He keeps on trying to free Jesus, to set him free. 
But the Jews here deliver the final blow. They corner Pilate by saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Now, Caesar, of course, is the Roman emperor, and he was a governor on behalf of the Roman emperor over the Jews. And what they're saying is, if anyone makes himself a king, or if anyone makes himself king, he goes against Caesar. Pilate, you can't let this happen. Because if you do, you're going against Caesar. You're going against your employer. Well, what does that mean for Pilate, potentially? He could lose his position, his office. He could lose his governorship. He could lose his wealth. He could lose his life. Pilate's not willing to do that. And so that, so God uses, notice here, it's God, God using the final challenge of the Jews to make Pilate condemn Jesus and sentence him to death. God is using the final challenge to make Pilate condemn Jesus and sentence him to death. And that brings us briefly to verses 13 to 16. Here we see Jesus, the innocent one, is condemned. We read in verse 13, When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Picture here, brothers and sisters, the courtroom. It's on a raised platform. That's what the pavement means, a raised platform in Pilate's residence. He sits down in his seat as ruler, as judge. You could say as king. And he brings down the gavel and pronounces the verdict guilty. That's where the verdict was proclaimed in that room on the pavement. You see here a cowardly man ultimately sends an innocent man to the cross. Notice here, if you were to summarize this whole chapter from verses 1 through 16, if you put it all together, you could say it in four sentences. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. And then the last verse, verse 16, so then he handed him over to them to be crucified. Those are the four main sentences. That's how the scriptures read here, eh? He too, Pilate too, must take responsibility. And you know what, brothers and sisters? Pilate is remembered today all throughout the world for his cruel injustice and in what he did to the Son of God. The church confesses in the Apostles' Creed, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified. That's how Pilate is remembered. Pilate sets a murderer free and sends Jesus off for crucifixion. But notice here, this is a really important point. In earth's court, Earth's court ratifies the decision of heaven's court. Pilate was simply ratifying God's decision from the court of heaven. When Pilate handed over him to be crucified, the judge of heaven and earth was pronouncing a verdict. It's on this day the Messiah became a lamb. And you see God preparing the Passover, where the lamb would shed his blood. 
People sometimes ask, how can a righteous God permit this by sending his only beloved son to be torn, to have his body broken, to have his blood shed on the cross? How could a righteous God permit this? The answer is found in Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 8. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that's on Christ, the iniquity, the sin of us all. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. I love what our Heidelberg Catechism says in question and answer 37. Sorry, 38. The question is, why did Jesus suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? The answer is, so that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge, who was Pilate, and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Verse 38. Then Pilate delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. The innocent was killed. The sinner, the murderer, was set free. That's exactly what happened on that day. You know what? For the rest of his life, Barabbas could say, Jesus died instead of me. One commentator puts it this way. For one man, for Barabbas, it was a good Friday. That man was Barnabas, sorry, Barabbas. They yanked him from his prison, placed him on the pavement in the rays of the shining sun. And while his eyes were still blinking, they told him that he was a free man. Not he, but Jesus would be killed. A beloved, consider the joy of the sentence being lifted. Can you imagine the exuberation, the joy? that we don't deserve it because someone else pays. With Barabbas, we too, who believe on Christ, are brought into the light of a new day, into new freedom. Our prison is open because Jesus was sentenced in our place. Think of those words of Charles Wesley. You can look it up on YouTube. Beautiful song. And can it be? You can sing this in your own homes afterwards together. The song partly goes like this. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Really, it's this clear. And this is the, the gospel sound that needs to go throughout our land. And it's something that needs to be desperately heard. And that is this, to all who trust on Christ, the crucified Savior, to all who trust on him alone for their salvation, the sentence of death is lifted forever. That means the sentence of eternal death and hell is lifted forever. He takes your death. In exchange, he gives you life. He is life. But to all who do not trust in Christ, there is only this. 
And that is you remain under the sentence of death and under the severe judgment of God. You know, it's so puzzling, isn't it? People, how they resist Christ, reject his message. But by rejecting him, by ignoring him, they're rejecting life. The very one who came to bring life. And they're embracing death. It's so puzzling, isn't it? And yet, it's because of our sins, because of blindness, that people don't see the reality. That's the reality. Away with the dreams of a of eternity, of a paradise on earth here with our short lives. No, this is the truth. This is the reality. This is the Christ who offers hope, true hope. He's the one who lifts the sentence. He's the one who sets free. Think of Barabbas. You know, it comes to this question, who sentenced Jesus? Was it God or man? Does it matter? Well, it does, yes. Because if his sentence was only for a man, then the sentence on Jesus is no different than a sentence on any other person. But his sentence was entirely unique. His sentence was from God himself through an earthly judge. So it's both and. God himself working through an earthly judge to provide the sacrifice that we need in his son. This is the solid ground of your assurance. The sentence of death is lifted for all who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus who provides that atoning sacrifice, that sacrifice we need in order to be brought back into fellowship with God again. Jesus, the innocent one, is treated as guilty, as the guilty one, so that the guilty ones may be treated as the righteous ones. That's the heart of the gospel. This is the gospel the city of Toronto needs to hear. Our nation needs to hear. The world needs to hear. There is no other way to life than through Christ. There's no other way to to hope. There is, there is no other hope, period, than in Christ alone. Today, the risen Lord Jesus, having conquered sin, death, and hell, he's the one who sits on the throne, not the kings of the earth, not presidences, not prime ministers. They are not on the ultimate throne. Christ is. And the Bible says the Father has given him all authority to judge. To all who believe, you know, God gives a sure promise that when Jesus appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. See that? Not be ashamed. He took our shame before him at his coming. Brothers and sisters, this is good news. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen.